Mind Over Muddle. Hi there, I'm Michael C. Patterson. I'm the founder and CEO of MindRamp Coaching and Consulting. And since 2009, when we first started, MindRamp's goal has been to promote what we call qualongevity, quality of life within an extended longevity. In other words, we want to live long, but we also want to live well. Now, in previous podcasts, we have focused on what we need to do to keep our brains as healthy as possible as we age. That is, as they say, a required but not a sufficient step. Mind is what the brain does, so what are we going to do with our healthy brains? Building on the foundation of a healthy brain, in this new podcast series, we will learn how to live well by learning how to manage our minds. In his wonderful book, The Master and His Emissary, Ian McGilchrist describes the relationship between the two hemispheres of the human brain with a story from the German philosopher Nietzsche. As is true with any good story, the details change a bit with each retelling as the teller takes the liberty to embellish according to his or her own tastes. In that spirit, I have modified the story a bit and changed The Master and His Emissary into the Empress and her deputy. You, no doubt, will embellish the story with your own retelling. So, here's my version. The Empress and her deputy. There once was a wise leader who led a small but prosperous domain. She was known for her selfless devotion to her people and for her tireless stewardship of the land. The people and the land flourished under her guidance, and the bounds of her domain grew. As it grew, it became clear to the Empress that the domain was becoming too large for her to lead by herself. She was losing touch with the people and lost track of far-flung regions of the land. To solve this dilemma, she worked out two strategies. First, she delegated much of the work of running the domain to a team of trusted deputies. And second, she spent more time among the citizens of her domain, often working side by side, sharing meals, birthing babies, burying the dead, and so on. She developed a communication system that would enable the far-flung deputies to share their resources and to participate in the activities of the entire domain. She also gave her cleverest deputy the job of coordinating the activities of the other deputies and of summarizing the important aspects of what was going on in her realm. In this way, she could make sure that the deputies were taking actions that served the best interests of her people and the land that supported them. Her chief deputy was very clever and developed and designed a bureaucratic system to ensure that the lesser deputies knew exactly what to do and exactly when to do it. As the domain grew, so did the deputy's bureaucracy. He monitored the performance of these systems on a daily basis and in so doing felt that he understood better than anyone the workings of the domain. Eventually, the chief deputy came to mistake this bureaucratic mapping of the domain for the domain itself. And he saw his numbers and charts and graphs as more meaningful and important than the people themselves. In this way, he came to see himself as the real leader of the land. 
He did all the work, after all. He ran the bureaucracy, while all the empress did was walk quietly among the people, sometimes joining them in their labors, sometimes sitting quietly in a field or on the bank of a bubbling spring. Ah, he thought the empress lazy, inefficient, and unproductive. He considered her concern for the well-being of the people and the land as a weakness. The deputy's power grew, and he eventually usurped the position of the empress, making himself the final arbiter of all decisions. He limited communication with the empress, stopped taking her advice, and instead used his charts and graphs to guide him. As is often the case in situations like this, his rule became tyrannical and dictatorial. He systematically stripped away the people's rights and concentrated all power and wealth in his own hands. The land was ruthlessly exploited and soon was robbed of its natural fertility. In short, the domain fell into ruin and eventually perished. End of story. No happy ending, I'm afraid. It's a cautionary tale. Let me try to explain some of the reasons for my modifications to the original story. For starters, I changed the gender of the master, replacing the male ruler of the country with a female leader, the empress. Our stories need more models of female leadership, after all. Further, the gender change suggests that the right hemisphere, the empress, might have a more female character, while the left hemisphere, the deputy, is more male. We shall see how this plays out as we explore more about the characteristic natures of the two hemispheres. Human beings have two hemispheres with very distinct points of view. This diversification of the hemispheres is due to the evolutionary trend towards increased power and complexity of the human brain. A division of power in the brain, like a division of power between the empress and her deputy, leads to greater efficiency. As long as the two parties collaborate, and as long as the empress, the right hemisphere, which is grounded in reality, stays in charge, to coordinate the running of the domain, the deputy creates a bureaucracy that systematizes the activities of the domain. This is the role of the left hemisphere as well. It creates a virtual representation, a representation, a symbolic map or blueprint of real life that can be broken into component parts, rearranged and put into an orderly sequence, a, a stable and reliable system for running things. These systems should then be shared with the empress so that she can decide which ones to use, which to discard, how best to deploy the systems to serve the interest of her people and the land. Trouble starts when the deputy starts running things himself. These bureaucratic systems are efficient, but they separate the deputy from the real life of the people and from the land. He becomes more and more alienated from real life and begins to see his bureaucracy, his systems, as being the only valid way of relating to what's going on. His systems are neat, tidy, and predictable, as he likes things to be. His job, as he sees it, is to make use of the land and the people to generate growth and wealth. His impulse is to exploit and his bureaucracy is the perfect instrument for that exploitation. 
The empress, on the other hand, has no interest in exploitation. Her impulse is to explore the wonders of her land, to experience its richness, to experience the precious gift of living. She wants to become one with the people and with the flow of life as it naturally evolves. McGilchrist's hemisphere hypothesis makes it clear that we need both hemispheres to operate well. We need the empress and her deputy to work together. The deputy's bureaucracy, the left hemisphere, can be quite useful and benevolent, but only when the empress, the right hemisphere, makes sure that it serves to keep the people happy and protect the natural fertility of the land. The empress must be in charge because she is the one that is in touch with the real domain, while the deputy has become obsessed with the smooth operation of his virtual reality, his systems and charts and graphs and so on. McGilchrist believes that in our modern culture, the left hemisphere has come to dominate our minds and our systems. This happens on a personal level and on a societal level. He believes that much of the conflict and confusion we experience is caused because we operate within the virtual reality world of the left hemisphere and have lost touch with the real natural world as experienced by the right hemisphere. The deputy has usurped power and keeps the empress silent and without influence. In the fable, the despotism of the deputy leads the domain into ruin. How prophetic is this fable for the fate of our own world? The question for us is whether the dominance of left hemisphere ways of thinking have set modern society on a similar trajectory towards doom. It is not unreasonable to worry that modern economic and political systems, driven largely by greed and left hemisphere modes of thinking, are making our lives miserable and are putting the future of the planet in jeopardy. Well, if this is the case, what can we do about it? What we can do is strive to regain hemispheric balance, strive to reinstitute the coordination of the hemispheres in our individual brains, and hope that collectively we can bend the arc of political and economic history ever more in the direction of the common good. In practical terms, we need to recognize when left hemisphere ways of thinking are becoming dominant and dictatorial and resist that trend with all our might. If the left hemisphere has taken over, we need to knock it off its pedestal of power. We need to escape from the virtual reality world of our left hemisphere and spend much more time experiencing the real world through our right hemisphere. We need to learn to tell the difference between living a virtual representation of our lives and really living our authentic lives. In subsequent podcasts, we will explore how we might make progress on these objectives, and we will explore how mind management systems across history have, in fact, developed effective techniques for balancing hemispheric influences. The hemispheric perspective is new, but the effort to unmodel the human mind has a 2,500-year history. So I hope you will continue to join me on this journey of discovery. If you want to learn more about MindRamp, please visit our website at www.mindramp.org. 
That's M-I-N-D-R-A-M-P dot O-R-G. And to learn more about the coaching, presentations, and trainings we offer, you can go directly to the programs page. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned our podcasts on how to keep your brain healthy. You can access those podcasts for free from our resources page. Just find the list of podcasts, scroll down until you find the episodes called The Cogwheels of Brain Health. These cover the eight core behavioral areas that work in synergistic fashion to keep your brain healthy. You learn what puts your brain at risk and also what serves to protect your brain and make it more resilient. I should mention that I am no longer thrilled with the cogwheels metaphor that we use for these brain health episodes. Ian McGilchrist makes an eloquent argument that machine metaphors are inappropriate for describing biological activities. What's needed are organic metaphors that better capture the idea of organic growth and a synergistic flow of influences. Something like root systems of brain health or a multidimensional web of factors that all play a role in influencing the health and well-being of our brains. So, until I find a better metaphor, we're stuck with the cogwheels of brain health. But the uh, the content is still going to be useful to you. Okay, thanks for listening. Take care of yourself and be like the benevolent empress and take care of the people in your lives and protect the wonderful planet that sustains this amazing life we have been granted. Live long and live well. <laughs>